leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. As Brandy and the choir were singing, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with just conviction in my own life about how often that when Jesus really is at the center of my life, that everything is right where it's supposed to be. But you and I both have had times in our lives where we have gotten off kilter, where we have gotten off center, where something besides Jesus has occupied the main spot in our life. One of the reasons that we come to worship every single week is to recenter our life, and we recenter our life on the person and the work of Christ. We do that by praying to the Lord God, we do that by singing his praises, but we also do that by reading and studying the Word of God. So would you join me today in taking your Bibles and turning to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1-8. through 8. We continue our journey together on the life of Abraham, a friend of God, on the journey of faith. And this week we find ourselves in the 17th chapter of Genesis, those first few verses together. And while you're finding that passage together, there is a professor at NYU, and he has named it Nominative Determinism. Nominative determinism. Now, if that phrase doesn't really mean anything to you, it simply means name-driven outcomes. That names really do make a difference. That what our name is and what we are called, it affects how we live our life. It affects who we become. You know that names in the Bible are a big deal, but names in general have a very specific impact on our lives. And so, in the article, it, it cited certain things that, that really just jump off the page that help us see that sometimes names really do determine the outcomes of what we do with our lives. Let me give you a few examples. The Chief Justice of England and Wales, his name, you ready for this? Justice Igor Judge, that is his last name. Ready for this? Israeli tennis pro, Anna Smashnova. Seven-time world champion surfer, Lane Beachley. Australian rules footballer, Derek Kickett. Olympic rower for Britain, name Stephen Robotham. Usain Bolt currently holds the world's fastest time in both the 100 and 200 meter christopher coke a notorious jamaican drug dealer the daniel snowman author of a book about the arctic and antarctica my personal favorite dr a.j splat doctor of urology If you don't think that naming kids is a big deal, used to you just picked out a family name, but you know that now you have to buy books and you have to do research and we try to find all of the information that we can. So I came across a couple and it just caught my eye. I thought maybe 
y'all would enjoy this. Their names are Kate and Jay Schwant. They just welcomed their 14th child into the world. Now, that would be interesting enough, but they have 14 boys, not one girl in the group. So they kept having children hoping to have a daughter. I don't know at what point they were going to stop, but after 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, boy, 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 boy. Well, on the fourth one, 14th one, they thought, surely this one is going to be a girl. But guess what? It was another boy. You want to know what they named him? You ready? Finley Sheboygan. Sheboygan, middle name, short for she's a boy again. Names make a difference. Biblically speaking, we need to understand the value of names. And when we pick up in 17, you're going to see two major name changes in this chapter. But before we begin reading together, let's just catch us all up to speed. You'll remember that Abram's been called and that Abram's been given this covenant promise. But what you also know is through everything we've read, there is still no baby. It has been now just between chapters 16 and 17, 13 years have passed. So when we end in 16 and pick up in 17, that's almost a decade and a half that there's been no new revelation, no change in the story, and now we're at 25 years. A quarter of a century has now passed since God originally called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees. Still, no baby except for, you remember, Ishmael has been born. But the baby that was promised between Abram and Sarah has not yet been born. And then out of the midst of this, God speaks. And so today, we're going to see what takes place when the silence breaks. Let's stand together and read together Genesis chapter 17. We begin in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Lord, teach us today that you, the Almighty God, are able to keep your promises and you are also able to give us a brand new identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated this morning? And as you're being seated, you'll see our big idea on the screen this morning. The Almighty God is able to keep His promises and give you a brand new identity. As we jump right into this passage, in verse 1, it's really tempting to zoom past the interval of silence. 
What I told you about what had taken place between 16 and 17, I believe is an absolute key to the story. That you have 13 years that have passed, 13 years in silence. And so we ask ourselves, why so long? It seems that if you're just reading through it and you don't pay attention to that, it, it would almost seem like a blip in the radar. But 13 years is a long time. 13 years is as long as some of you have been alive. 13 years ago, I was in my early 30s. 13 years ago, some of you weren't senior adults. 13 years is a long time, right? And so it's easy just to move past this, but you know something's happened in Abram's life in 13 years. Something's happened in his family's life in 13 years. But it appears after everything they've been through that there has been no interaction and you have to wonder, is Abram not been sitting there asking the question, where are you, God? Some of you, you may never admit that in a small group, but maybe there have been times in your life where you've asked the exact same question. Oh God, where are you? God, I, I believe, but I hadn't seen you move. God, I know what your promises are, but I'm not seeing them come to fruition. So, so God, I'm just wondering in the silence, where are you? Now, any time during this 13-year interval, could God have come to Abram? Could God have renewed the covenant? Could God have made Sarah pregnant? Absolutely. You know the answers to those questions. So we get to the really important question. Why is it now? Why has God waited this long? Why has God allowed Abram and Sarah? They've gotten older and older and older. And Sarah is now 90 years old. And it is... Not until then that the silence breaks and the Lord God speaks. Friends, you know this, some of you by experience, and some of you, if you will remember this today, it will save you a lot of heartache and it will help you connect with the Lord in a real way. Many times is that God has to wait till you'll get to you get to the end of yourself before He speaks. Sometimes it is that you've got to get to a place where you are so reliant and so desperate to hear from the Lord that that's when the silence breaks and that's when the Lord speaks into your life. And at this place in the narrative, we know that the Lord speaks and He speaks so clearly because when He breaks through the silence, He gives a fresh introduction of Himself. One of the great studies that you can do in Scripture is a study of the names of God. All throughout Scripture, He reveals Himself in different ways and with different names so that we can understand His character, so that we can understand His attributes. And when He introduces Himself in this verse, when we step in, do you see who He tells Abram that He is? He says, I am who? God Almighty. In the Hebrew, that is the word El Shaddai. It is the first time in all of Scripture that God has introduced Himself as El Shaddai. The translation is that I am God all-powerful or that I am God Almighty. Forty-eight different times in the Old Testament, God reveals Himself as the Lord God Almighty or as El Shaddai. Now in chapter 14, God revealed Himself as Abram's shield. In chapter 15, he revealed Himself to Abram as His exceedingly great reward. And now here in 15, He reveals Himself as El Shaddai or as God Almighty. 
And the reason that He reveals His name before He reintroduces the covenant is that the name reveals something about the Lord that we can never forget. Even after 13 years of silence, even in our darkest day, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of pain, one of the greatest names that we have for our Lord God is that He is El Shaddai. No matter what problems you face, no matter what issues come about, no matter what you're walking through in life, one of the greatest comforts that will ever come to your heart in life is that when you bow your head before the Lord God, that one of the greatest descriptors of Him is that He is Almighty. That He is all-powerful. That there is nothing my God cannot do. That's a song that I learned when I was three years old in preschool. And it still comes to my mind when I pray that my God is so big and so strong and so mighty that there is nothing my God cannot do. What are we teaching preschoolers with that song? We are teaching them that He is El Shaddai. That He is all-powerful. And so now He has introduced Himself as El Shaddai Yet before He gives the renewal of this covenant, He gives specific commands. And I don't want us to miss these because these are so huge. Look with me. When we look at verse 1, He reveals to Abram who He is. I am God Almighty. And now He gives him two very short commands. Do you see those two commands? He commands him to do two things. What does He command Abram to do? Number one, He commands him to walk before me. Walk before me. Now, before we move on, we need to think about what it looks like to walk before the Lord. What does that command mean? It, it means, and I think in our generation, we need to hear this loud and clearly. It means that you need to, listen to me, slow down. It means that you need to be reminded day in and day out that everything you do is in sight of God. That everything you do, you are walking before the Lord. That He is watching you and that you are living your life in front of the Lord in everything that you are doing. It reminded me this week, it's amazing to me how as you study Scripture, God puts things in front of your life um, to remind you of the truths that He's speaking to you. If you're studying the Bible and you're reading the Bible, you've seen this happen all of the time. And, and we've been reading this and one of the greatest illustrations of the understanding of what it looks like to walk before the Lord is to spend a little bit of time around preschool kids. Have you spent any time around small children lately? Oh, it's incredible. Because what do they always want? They want to be in front of you. That if you watch a child, especially a young child, when they're playing if they know mom or dad is watching over them, it's like they have complete freedom to play and have a good time. But when they look up and realize that they don't see their parent watching, that they don't see their parent behind them, that's when they begin to get anxious and nervous and looking for mom and looking for dad. Why? Because it's not that walking before the parent provides them stress or anxiety. It's that they know they're secure because whatever it is they're doing, their mom or their dad is watching them, right? So when we say walk before the Lord, some people hear that as like God is standing in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike you down. No, it is that I can live in peace and contentment and out of anxiety because I'm walking before the Lord. I'm studying this passage and I, I come over Sunday night. They had a, a bonus choir rehearsal. And so I'm picking up my daughter from the bonus choir rehearsal. And I got here early. 
Uh, this is last Sunday. And so I got here early, and a lot of our preschoolers and a lot of volunteers were helping out on the playground with a lot of our, with a lot of our preschoolers so that our choir members could, could be in choir and sing. And so I walked over there and was just enjoying seeing them, and they were playing and 100 miles an hour. And uh, a little girl runs up to me. She's just turned four, a three, maybe just turned four. And she said, uh, I'm standing at the fence. And she runs up and she said, I've seen you in church. She says, I go in there. And I said, I'm so glad that you go, go in there, that you come to church. She said, I always color while you talk. And I said, that's great. She, I, I said, I'm glad that you do that. She said, but I can still hear you when I'm coloring. And I said, that's fantastic. Keep coloring, baby, and keep listening. And then she asked me this. She said, can you hop on one foot? I said, I can hop on one foot. She said, nah. -uh. I said, yes, huh? And then she said, watch me hop on one foot. And so she begins. I mean, she's getting it, going across the playground on one foot, doing, 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 doing. And I mean, she's looking back the whole time. Brother Larry, are you watching me? I'm watching, baby. I'm watching. She said, nine times. I hopped nine times. I said, that is great. Well, about that time, some people walked up to the playground fence. Either choir gotten out or some people I, I had walked up. And when they walked up, I turned to speak to them, to say hello, do, do what you do when people walk up. She turns around and looks at me and she said, Brother Larry, you are not watching. I said, y'all going to have to hold on a minute. I got to watch. So I turned around and I kept watching her walk on one foot. And I couldn't help but think this passage just come, coming up to my mind. It was not for her stressful or anxious that an adult was watching. She wanted to be watched. She wanted to be seen before someone. And when we really have a great relationship with God is that we are standing before Him saying, I don't ever want to be out front and you not watching. I want to live my life before you. I want to be seen by you. I want to be protected by you. So when the Lord tells you, walk in front of me, I wouldn't want to walk anywhere else. Friends, sometimes I think we forget that life really is a marathon, that we're called to walk in front of the Lord. And sometimes we want everything just to to, to move so quickly that we, we want to grow quickly. And, and what happens is we end up going a mile wide and an inch deep. And I would tell you, friends, that the greatest thing that we can do is seek depth with the Lord. That seek to grow deep, to grow deep roots in with the Lord. And I'd love to tell you that there was a magic formula for that. That there's an app for that. I'd love to tell you that, that there was something you could do and that in Two short days, you would grow deep in your walk with the Lord. That there was some way that just in a moment's notice that you could possibly get into a, a place where of maturity in your walk with the Lord. But I'll tell you this, friends, it takes time. It takes time. And it is through the struggle and through the patience that you grow with the Lord. Abram, over the course of these years now and that have passed, he's grown in the Lord. Sometimes we have those moments where something forces us to mature rapidly, 
But the majority of the time, it takes time. Don't try to speed the process. Walk before the Lord. Some of you have, have seen before a butterfly. You know that a butterfly starts from a larva, and then the larva, it, it weaves a cocoon around itself, and then inside the cocoon, the larva then changes, and it becomes, it changes itself into a butterfly. But what's interesting about that is if you've ever watched a butterfly emerge from the cocoon, you might be tempted to do something. If you've ever actually watched it, then what you know is that it is a struggle. That it starts as a very small hole at the top of the cocoon, and it takes time and effort, and the poor butterfly is pushing its way through the top, and its wings are coming out just millimeter by millimeter, little bit by little bit. And it would be tempting if you were watching this to want to help the butterfly out to take a, a pocket knife or a pair of scissors and just slit open the cocoon enough that the butterfly would not have to struggle, that it could just come on out, that it wouldn't have to fight. But if you were to do that, you would give the butterfly a death sentence. And here is why. It is mandated that what happens is, as it is struggling, it's not only strengthening its wings, but it's also drying its wings on the cocoon. If you were to cut the cocoon open and the butterfly's wings were still moist when you cut it off, the butterfly would immediately fall to the ground and it would never be able to fly. It would die there on the ground. And as you think about that cocoon opening and the butterfly coming out, I've got to tell you, friends, I'd love it if there was a quick recipe that we could all just become spiritually mature in a moment's notice. But you know out of your own experience that it takes time and circumstances and struggle that eventually you come to a place where you realize if you walk before the Lord that maturity and wisdom is going to take time. But if you're willing to walk before the Lord, then what happens is you begin to care more about what He thinks than what anybody else in the world thinks. You begin to, to live in a place with less stress and less worry and less anxiety because you realize you're before the Lord. You'll avoid so many of the consequences in your life that bring shame and regret because you have walked before the Lord. And then, and then, the Lord gives Abram another set of instructions in this first verse, and they catch a lot of people off guard. In fact, this next statement is one that most people have tried to explain away. They've tried to soften it. Because the Lord tells him not only to see to walk before him, but what's the second command he gives in this verse? And be blameless. Blameless. Now, some people have tried to say that that just means try to be responsible. Try to have some integrity. Try to be overall a good person. But I'm afraid, friends, that's not at all what this means. To be blameless, what does it mean? It means to be blameless. You can't explain away this command because how could it be less? What is God's standard? Here's the, what is God's standard? Perfection. That is God's standard. The reason that the Ten Commandments were given were not to show you how you could be righteous, it's to show you how you couldn't be righteous. It's why when Jesus spoke, and you'll remember that Jesus made the same command, Matthew 5.48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Now, when Jesus said, be perfect, should we summarize that to mean be pretty good? Do the best you can? No, when God said be blameless, He meant be blameless. When Jesus said be perfect, it meant be perfect. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute. If Jesus has given the same command that God gave Abram, and that's applicable to all of us, we're in bad shape. If the command is be perfect and be blameless, we're in trouble. You're starting to get the point. You're starting to get the point. Because if before the Lord today, you're looking at Him going, God, there's no way that I can be blameless as I walk before You. There's no way that I can be perfect as I walk before You. Why do you think that He introduced Himself with His name before He gave this command? Now follow me here. What is His name? El Shaddai. God Almighty. I am God Almighty. I am the, the all-powerful God. Now walk before Me and be blameless. The only way that you will ever walk before Him and the only way that you will ever be blameless is not because of your righteousness. It's not because of your ability. It's because you have trusted in the power of the Almighty. It's asking you not to walk according to your ways. It's not asking you not to walk according to the flesh. And when we truly present the Gospel, we present it this same way. That we don't lessen the standard and say, listen, you can be saved if you're pretty good. No, we say you can only be saved if you're perfect. And people say, well, I couldn't be perfect. And then you say, well, let me introduce you to the One who is. Let me explain to you that He takes away all your iniquity and unrighteousness. Let me explain to you how He did live a perfect life. Let me explain to you how dependent you are on Him that if you are trying to be blameless in your own ability, that you're going to miserably fail. Friends, that was true of Abram and it's true for you and I. To be blameless before the Lord is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We are not relying on our own righteousness but on the righteousness that only El Shaddai can provide. So friends, from there, he picks up in verse 2, and he confirms this covenant. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. If you skip over to verses 4-8, through eight, you see that he continues in confirming this covenant, this covenant renewal. If you read through verses 5-8 through eight, and you were to highlight, you would see that five different times just in verses 5-8 through eight, do you see this statement, I will. That's God speaking. I will. El Shaddai will. So it is good as done because it is a statement of what the Lord is going to do. God makes this covenant promise, I will. And he begins to explain to him that he's going to bless him, that he's going to make his name great. He renews the covenant that he's going to give him descendants, that they are going to populate, that kings are going to come from him. He even, makes, even comes back and renews his covenant to give him the land that he is standing on. All of that covenant that takes place. It's estimated by historians that approximately 5% of the entire earth's population can trace their genealogy back to Abram. 5%. A number that blows our minds when we think about that here he is in these stages of life, barren, his wife barren, and no children have been born. And if you continue to study this chapter, we obviously don't have time in, in the amount of time that we're allotted here 
to walk through every bit of this chapter. We stopped at verse 8, but what you're going to see is that you're going to see this covenant renewal that God has given also brings about a requirement. And this is where circumcision is brought in in the next few verses that you will read. Now, the circumcision or the removing of the male foreskin, that showed a separateness that now this people would be separate from every other people. But think about it for just a moment because when you understand circumcision as it is given in this text, it makes complete sense. Because God has said, be blameless, I am El Shaddai. And then He has said, you need to be circumcised. One of the reasons that we understand circumcision like we do is that Abram at this stage in his life, waiting on a child, they no longer can possibly rely on the flesh. And the covenant of circumcision always throughout Scripture is the displaying that there is no relying on the flesh before the Lord, that you are completely and totally dependent on God Almighty. And so as this chapter begins to break down, as we begin to understand it, we see that this, this covenant that's been reinstituted brought about in Abram one response. Do you see the response? What did Abram do? Verse 3, check out what Abram did. It says that he did what? Abram fell face down. He fell face down. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When you come face to face with a holy God, there is but one thing you can do. Angels did it. Saints that have gone before you have done it. And that is that we fall prostrate before Him. Let angels prostrate fall. Friends, when we behold Him, when we crown Him Lord of all, it is because you can't stand in the presence of a holy God. You can only fall before Him because you have recognized that now you have beheld El Shaddai. That now you have beheld God Almighty and He falls on His face before the Lord. I truly wonder if in our day and age, if we haven't removed ourselves from the understanding that part of the worship of God is a fear of El Shaddai. That He is Lord God Almighty and that there should be a holy reverence or a fear of the Lord. And that means that we prostrate ourselves before Him. That we understand that He is holy and that we are not. That He is completely independent and we are completely dependent. That He needs us for nothing, but we need Him for everything because He is El Shaddai. He falls on His face. And then... And you've got to see this. This is so important to the whole narrative. When God reinstitutes this covenant in verses 4-8 through that we read together, He changes Abram's name. And a few verses later, if you continue reading, you'll see that He also changed His wife's name. He changed Abram to Abraham and Sarah to Sarah. And here's what's so important about that. Abraham's name is now changed. The word Abraham or name Abraham means father of a multitude. Sarah's name is changed to the name meaning the mother of nations. So the father of a multitude and the mother of nations, their names have been changed from Abraham to Abraham and to Sarah. Now if you read all through the Bible, you see that God, many times in Scripture, He changes people's names. Can you remember any other examples of God changing people's names in Scripture? Old Testament, do you remember? There's a guy by the name of 
Jacob means trickster or supplanter. And God changes his name to Israel. There's another man in Scripture, you may remember him, that he found himself on the Damascus Road. And on the Damascus Road, he saw the glory of God. And in the midst of encountering a glorified Christ, he changes his name from Saul to Paul. You may also remember that Jesus looked upon Peter and after Peter gave this great confession, you are Christ, the Son of the Most High God. He looked at him and he said, no longer will your name be Simon, but your name will be Rock or your name will be Peter. That when God changes a name, He has also changed an identity. He has told them that no longer are you Abram, no longer are you Jacob, no longer are you Simon, no longer are you Saul, but you have a brand new name because the name is now going to match your identity. It is His way of communicating that you are no longer the person that you used to be. Friends, it is incredible how through understanding of the Gospel has brought us to this understanding that the Lord now declares that every single one of us, that we are not the person that we used to be, that we are no longer a prisoner of our past, that we are totally brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are new creatures in Christ. And I find this interesting. Nowhere in the New Testament, we do a study on the lives of Abraham and Sarah, nowhere are they referred to by their old names. They are referred to by their new names. And so, as you study this, you ask yourself the question, well, what's my new name? Did you know you're getting one? Did you know that? You're going to get a brand new name. In fact, you've already moved from sinner to saint. You've already moved from unholy to holy. You've already moved from unredeemed to redeemed. You've already moved from unjustified to justified. But the Bible says very clearly in Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give a white stone with a name written on it known only to him who receives it. Which means to everyone who is given a brand new name in glory. You remember the song? We've sung it before. I have a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. That Jesus knows me by name and He gives us a brand new identity. That now in Christ, I'm no longer who I was, but I'm brand new before the Lord. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that your sins have been nailed to it. Thank God that the guilt is removed. Thank God that His wrath has been imputed onto the person of Christ. Thank God for new beginnings. Thank God that the past is the past. Thank God that the future is the future in Christ. Thank God that we have a new name that's written down in glory. And it's mine. Thank God for that. So friends, as you come to the end of this passage, what Abram was to understand in this passage is really the same thing that you're to, re- to understand from this passage, and it's this. That when God gives revelation, it brings responsibility. Let me say that again. When God brings revelation, it absolutely brings with it responsibility. 
when God has revealed Himself to Abram, when God has changed Abram's name, when He has renewed the covenant, it brought a responsibility on Abram's life. And you need to know today that if the Almighty God if we know that He's able to keep His promises and we know that He's able to give us a new identity, that it also is going to require us to act. It's going to require us to act because now that we've encountered this El Shaddai, this Almighty God, you can't keep living like you've already always lived. You can't keep walking like you've always walked. You have to walk before Him that you're called to be blameless and you recognize in the midst of this, I can't do it on my own. Congratulations, you're starting to understand the Gospel. That you need El Shaddai over your life. That you need to come before the Lord and you need to admit to Him, just like Abram and Sarah would have never had a child outside of the Lord, that you will never do what it is that God has for your life unless you submit to His authority and to His leadership. And before the Lord God Almighty, you recognize that He is absolutely your only hope and He always has been. So friends, today, if God has revealed something to your life you have to act on it notice that he told abram who he was but then he commanded that abram do something walk be blameless you have to do something with the revelation when the word of god is preached when the word of god is taught when the word of god is read understanding it that's huge but if you take that understanding and you do nothing with it that even though God has broken through the silence into your life and you do absolutely nothing with it, that's on you. And we need to be not just hearers of the Word, but what? Doers of the Word. Put it into practice. Do something with what God has shown you. God has not brought you here and opened His Word and taught you so that you would leave unchanged. He never does that. The Bible says that His Word is living and active and sharper than two and a two-edged sword. It also says that it never returns void. That means that when God breaks the silence, when He reveals His identity and He reveals His promise, we are required to act. Will you act? leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known.